At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'm able to make friends, try and make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I'm steamed. I'm sick and tired of hearing about how we've got a narrow market, a market with only a handful of winners driving the performance, nearly all of which are in tech. The implication being that a narrow market is a precarious market, so you better before. I've had enough. Yeah, okay. It's a given. We had a narrow market. The SP 500 is led by the Magnificent Seven that seemingly exists to save the other 493 villagers in the index from Eli Wallach and his host of bandits. But you know what? Magnificent Seven, the real deal. Seven brilliantly run companies with amazing sales and earnings. Great balance sheets. So what if they lead the way? I mean, a win's a win. And we won again today. Dow gaining 153 points. SP climbing 0.99%. Tech heavy NASDAQ jumping 1.28%. Not every company could be a Hall of Famer, let alone an all-pro. The Magnificent Seven's all-pro. What are we supposed to do? Challenge all seven gunfighters? Sell, 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 sell. Somehow blast them in Kingdom Cup? Bad idea. They deal in lead, and you don't want to be their competitor. So who are the Magnificent Seven? Well, I mean, no, it's not your brother this time yet. Well, here we go. I have another list of them. You got Apple, with a total return of nearly 37% through the first five months of the year. Mr. Softy has returned 38%. NVIDIA, with a return of 159%. Amazon, with the return of 44%. How about this one? Meta up 120%. Tesla's up 66%. And Alphabet up 39%. Now, I know I have the right to say this, that right now I've had enough of them because I talk about them every night. Now, people like uh, people act like this strength for these companies is a bad thing. What do you want these CEOs to do? Play, play blindfold and one hand tied right in the back? Maybe you give the other guys points to compete with them? I mean, does it matter that Apple is the highest customer satisfaction in the world? Shouldn't Microsoft be rewarded for doing fabulously during this tech slowdown and then made the biggest bet on AI of any company? A $10 billion investment in the company behind ChatGPT? NVIDIA makes gold in the form of graphics cards that are essential for AI. Literally can't get enough of them. They issued guidance for the current quarter that was nearly $4 billion above expectations, for heaven's sake. How about Tesla? Crushing here, Europe, China? Best-in-class products, really inexpensive prices. Amazon is coming out of a trough year, so business will accelerate because of AI, and sales will do well as brick-and-mortar shrinks from shrink. More on that later. Meta's Mark Zuckerberg, he's going all in AI in a year of living efficiently. Alphabet looking late to AI, right? Well, actually, it turned out to have a lot more going on than even their own executives seem to know. All terrific long-term opportunities. But you know what? Just like in the movie The Magnificent Seven, the gunfighters saved the village. And you know what the villagers did? 
Nothing. So rather than complain about how the market's so narrow and everything's terrible, take away the belt and shoelaces, I want to purchase things differently. Kind of like Steve McQueen talking to Yul Brenner about how the villagers didn't pull the weight. If that went over your head, just go watch the movie, the original. Now, let me give you the list of the, yeah, the new one was awful. Let me give you a list of companies that I'm simply not willing to wait for before I start pulling the trigger on the Magnificent Seven. In other words, these companies should not keep you out of the Magnificent Seven at all. I'm going to go over the biggest losers for the first five months in the year of, of the, in the once mighty Dow, which is down oh so slightly for the year. Even when you include dividends, the Dallas Euro has only had a pathetic five positive days in May, three of them in one week. Are we really supposed to view the Magnificent Seven as a source of danger? When the real threat is right in front of us in the form of the dirty dozen of the Dow? Forget the leaders. Let's talk about the players that can't even make the team. Might not even go out for it. We're going to start with the ones that are least down. A little better. Procter & Gamble off 6% through the end of May, which I'm naming Charles Bronson because he was the only man to play in both movies. Procter was having a very strong five months until a few weeks ago when analysts started complaining about peaking margins and slowing sales. I say, give me a break. Procter's going to lower, lower costs without lower prices. It's called a great combo. Next, Coca-Cola, also off 6%. And this one's strictly because people think the Fed's almost done tightening, so why bother with safety? They don't care that it had a good quarter. Out of fashion. Should that be a reason to stay away from buying NVIDIA? Does that make any sense at all? Not this. Coca-Cola. Then there's United Health. It's down 8% because who wants to own the health insurers during an election year? doesn't matter that it's a great company that's going to crush the numbers. You don't buy this a year before an election. IBM is down 8%, and all I can say is give me high growth or get me out. You want no growth and actual risk? Well, how about the absolutely miserable performance of lowly villager Verizon? I can't find anything good to say about it except my really cool Verizon red windbreaker that they gave me that is perfect for raining day gardening. It makes ideal. Travelers, it's pretty good. But dream one if you like if you think a cyclical stock like this one can rise to greatness at this point in the business cycle, down 9.7%. You always hear it. That a family's only as happy as the unhappiest kid. Nike has markets that are like families. And the Chinese families make it a whole joint sag. Of 10%. Home Depot, Fed wants to raise rates. Housing's caught in the crosshairs. Lots of stealing, too. Home Depot used to be magnificent. Could be again when the rate hikes are over, down 10.3%. I mean, here's one that Trust owns, and it makes no sense to me that it's down 10.6%. I'm talking Honeywell. Maybe we're all waiting for the CEO in waiting, Vimal Kapoor, who became actual CEO today. Maybe he'll give us some direction. J&J is down 12%. It's caught up in litigation where it's trying to give $8.9 billion to a huge pool of talc litigants who blame J&J for allegedly selling them a product that gave them cancer. I am a huge fan of J&J here. I have been since 1985. But unlike back then, you're totally hostage to the climax of this lawsuit. Caterpillar told a terrific story today at an industry conference, but I get the sense that nobody wants to buy an earth mover going into a global recession. Even the CEO, Jim Humblebee, has dramatically decyclicalized his business. We like it. We own it for the trust. We want to be bigger as the buyback is strong. And I suspect a higher dividend coming. It's down 14%. Seems wrong to me. Getting ready to buy. Amgen's trying to buy its way out of a hole in earnings with its $27 billion acquisition of Verizon Therapeutics. FTC doesn't want it to happen. Stock's stalled down 16%. Chevron's also down 16% because oil's terrible, and it might not even go higher after this weekend's OPEC Plus meeting. 
the, pro, the cartel is feeling real broken. Walgreens, down 18%. It's a book's up on health care, but it doesn't give you the real skin on how much of the merchandise is now behind lock and key because of pilferage. I don't know what I do with this place. Amazon's their nemesis. When same-day deliveries everywhere, it might be faster to order online than to wait for the clerk to come and unlock the Gillette Razor Box. Finally, there's the dividend aristocrat known as 3M. All I can say about 3M is that it's involved with some litigation with some of the most sympathetic pl- uh, plaintiffs in the world. Drinkers of polluted groundwater, possibly leached by 3M, and veterans who claim that they have hearing issues thanks to 3M's allegedly defective earplugs. Wow. That's the kind of litigation that sends a once-grade stock down 22% in the first five months of the year. Bottom line, do you want to own the petrified villagers in the Dow? Or would you rather stick with what's winning, the Magnificent Seven? Remember, you don't want to wait for the villagers to turn things around, but you bet on the actual gunfighters if you want to make big money. Hey, let's go to Mickey in Michigan. Mickey. Oh, it's Mickey in Massachusetts. My terrible bad. How's it going? Very good. How are you, Jim? I'm doing well. Thank you. So I'm calling about CVS. Uh, I bought it uh, about the time COVID started, and I had about $10,000 invested in March of 2022, and now it's down to $7,000. Should I buy, sell, or hold? Um, it yields three and a half. It does have the problems of many retailers, which is shrinkage. Uh, it just did a very big bond offering, and I think it's moving really aggressively into healthcare. I would not sell the stock at three and a half percent yield. I would buy it. Let's go to Jay in Wisconsin. Jay, Jim, I was wondering if you have an opinion on activist investors, Legion Partners' involvement with Twilio, and suggesting that they. About Twilio? Okay, look, Jeff Lawson's made a couple of reductions in force. He's doing a buyback. He's more focused. I think a lot of his problems have to do with small, medium-sized businesses that may not be as, they may be a little more reluctant to order. I would not sell Twilio here. I think if it pulls back to 60, I'd be a buyer. Sebastian in California. Sebastian. Yes, Mr. Kramer. Thank you so much for all you do. Good afternoon to you, sir. So uh, my question has two parts. Disney. It's at one of its lowest costs for stock. What is your assessment of Disney stock? And also, is this a good time to purchase it? Or do you okay. recommend any other stock under no, the No, I tech? think Disney's an excellent stock to buy. My Chapel Trust owes it. It's been very disappointing. We are down a lot on Disney. I talk about being up on NVIDIA. Got to say what I'm down on. Disney's one of the stocks we're battling. I talked about that at our last uh, club call meeting. But if these prices are 89 If you're willing to wait a year, I think we'll look back and say, how the heck did you get that at $89? Right. You can try and wait for the rest of the market to catch up to the Magnificent Seven. But why do that when you just buy with the winners if they're still doing well? Tonight, my hunt for buying opportunities continues. CrowdStrike tumbled after earnings, but I'm looking at the big picture with the CEO. Find out if the recent decline could present an attractive buying opportunity. Then, in a tough moment for retail, I'm focused on a disturbing new trend in the space that could impact the sector's profit potential and reveal the names that can come out the other side. And the AI hype has taken the market by storm. But I'll tell you why you shouldn't believe everything you hear when I turn in tonight's homework. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. We're seeing a new pattern with the tech stocks that caught fire earlier this year. Many of their stocks got so hot that they end up getting hit even when they reported real good earnings. I'm not just talking about Salesforce here. I'm also talking about CrowdStrike, the cloud-native cybersecurity play. Last night, CrowdStrike reported an excellent quarter, clean top and bottom line beat, like it's given you in every quarter since its IPO, with remarkable 42% sales growth. While management's guidance for the current quarter was good, they also raised every line of their four-year forecast. Really hard for me to tell what investors could complain about in these numbers. Yet, complain they did, CrowdStrike down as much as 13% in half hours trading last night. That opened down 8%. But you know what? It ultimately erased most of those gains, finished down around 2%. So could this be a pullback, a rare pullback in this company's stock? Let's check in with George Kurtz. He's the co-founder, president, and CEO of CrowdStrike. Get a better read in the quarter. Mr. Kurtz, welcome back to Man Money. Yeah, great to be here. All right, so George, you've, last night you reported your first uh, quarter earnings results, which, along with uh, beating top and bottom, bottom lines, I just mentioned, resulted in gap profitability for the first time in your company's history. Is this the beginning of the big pivot that you know many people want to profitability with growth? Well, this is something that obviously we've been working on for a long time, and we've, take, uh, we've taken a really methodical approach to how we run the business. Uh, we focused on gross margin, then uh, operating profit, cash flow, and, and now gap profitability. And um, I think if you look at how quickly we got to that, at least for one quarter, you know, that was going to fluctuate over time. It does give you a view of the strength and the model uh, of our business, and we're excited to be able to get there that quickly post our IPO. Okay, I agree with you. Now, I know one analyst said, talked about how net new annual recurring revenue declined from last year and maybe combine that with some thinking about how you talked about there are some challenging uh, circumstances in the macro. Started to think that maybe this is as good as it gets. But I, I saw tremendous growth here away from that. And with AI, I question whether it really is as good as it gets. Well, when you look at the overall results and you look at the uh, 42% uh, revenue growth, you look at the rule of 40 at 75% at a $2.7 billion annual recurring revenue scale, it's impressive. You combine that with some of the macro headwinds, and uh, we delivered uh, above and beyond what we said we were going to deliver in terms of our our results. So it's still a challenging environment. Deals take longer, uh, but I think it, 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 it really focuses on the strength of the model and certainly the product set that we have. Well, George, I've got to tell you, you had the most compelling discussion 
of AI and what it means, particularly because the other side, the bad guys, have real good AI. Maybe it just takes better AI to catch them. Well, when we talk about AI, Jim, and, and I've been on your program for many years, you know, this is not something that we started yesterday. It's the foundational element of, of why I started CrowdStrike and what we've been doing. Generative AI, as you know, is, is a newer type of AI, and it's something that we've been focused on for some time. And we're really excited about our Charlotte AI release, which we think is going to revolutionize uh, the way security practitioners interact and create workflows within our Falcon program. We're going to need that to be able to stop the adversaries because they're going to use AI to, uh, to defeat uh, systems that are out there. All right, so let me ask you, you are uh, famous for getting new clients. You've got, by the way, uh, wins with two new Fortune 100 cu- uh, customers. You also got the Department of Defense, which is a real big deal. I was trying to figure out whether those new customers can bring as much to a bottom line uh, or don't you have to spend a lot to get them and therefore they're not as easy to harvest, so to speak. Well, if you look at our sales efficiency, uh, things like our magic number uh, or customer acquisition costs, uh, we've been very efficient uh, and we continue to be very efficient as a company. Um, Once we get a customer in, we know the lifetime value of the customer is going to continue to grow because we continue to land more modules, which is part of our, our whole selling motion. Once you're in and you're using the product, it's almost friction-free to be able to try a new module and then to be able to upsell and, uh, and close that customer because they already have the software, they already have our agent, they're already using our cloud, and it's a matter of uh, filling out the purchase order and, and uh, giving them a new module. Well, that's, that's about as easy as it gets now. One of the things that we've all thought is quite easy is, is uh, the ease in which Microsoft has moved into AI and how they're doing so well. And they always sound like a colossus that can never be toppled. But I'm quoting from your call. You disclosed that eight out of ten times when an enterprise customer uh, tests, they go CrowdStrike over Microsoft. Well, if Microsoft is so invincible, how is that possible? Well, you have to look at the the fundamental technology they have, and I know there's a lot of hype around Microsoft and AI, but their fundamental endpoint technology is still legacy. It's still signature-based, gets updated six or seven times a day, and that's the reason why I started CrowdStrike. The legacy technologies were not capable of stopping breaches, and in fact, many of the incident response engagements that we get brought into are Microsoft customers. So customers are looking for the outcome of stopping breaches, and that's why they're choosing CrowdStrike. All right, so let's talk about the customer that is the Department of Defense. For the highest unclassified, I know you're in. My thinking is, is that the Department of Defense must be the premier account in many ways, because obviously you always talk about state-sponsored. State-sponsored bad guys, you need the Department of Defense. So how's that going to work? You just got the clearance. Well, we've had IL-4, which is a level of uh, certification. Now we got IL-5, which is which is pretty hard to get, to be to be clear, and a lot of uh, processes that you have and, and security that you need to have. So that opens up a broader scale for us to be able to sell into the government and opens up potentially more, uh, up to millions uh, more of endpoints and workloads. So we're excited about that. But Jim, as you know, in the government, we've seen it. It takes time. It right. takes effort. And uh, it's an ongoing uh focus for us. Um, until your call last night, I had never heard the term, maybe I should have, adversarial AI. Now, this is like people in giant buildings with healthcare benefits having a coffee machine and getting paid to be able to break through uh, from uh, in bad countries. Is that adversarial AI, like a company? Well, adversarial AI is the adversaries actually creating AI uh, technology to defeat other AI protection technologies. And this is something that's been going on for some time. Um, I, I know, again, there's a lot of hype about AI, but we've been uh, focused on this for some time. And the adversaries are they're smart. Nation state adversaries are using the same technologies, uh, generative AI and, 
and other techniques to try to defeat systems. So uh, it's one of those areas you have to have the best AI, you have to have the best data set, which we believe this uh, kind of human annotated uh, information that we have to be able to train our generative AI algorithms. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's an arms race and we think we're positioned well. I was very glad to see what, near the end of your call that you saw a strong demand and results for small and medium-sized business. That's who I'm most afraid that the Federal Reserve is hurting when they raise. So these people are still spending on CrowdStrike. They're still spending on CrowdStrike and they're doing that in a variety of ways. One is purchasing the, the technology itself. They can do that through our website. But two, we spent a lot of time on our partner network. Uh, we, we actually signed a deal with a company called Pax8, which handles 30,000 managed service providers. And that actually uh, caters to the small businesses. So they're spending more. They're spending it at a higher ASP. And uh, I think that bodes well for SMB business. Well, I think it's great because they need it the most. They're unfortunately much easier targets than the much more sophisticated banks, other large internationals. That's George Kurtz, co-founder, president, CEO of CrowdStrike. Congratulations. Another great quarter, George. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Man Money, back over the break. Coming up, among retail headwinds, who had crime on their bingo card? Kramer on a growing issue in the online marketplace. Next. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Scramble through our world-class golf courses or shop your way through the square. Be one with nature as you hike or bike through our parks and trails or hunker down at one of our breweries. And when it's time to eat, be sure to bite into our eclectic food scene. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Right now, we've gotten through almost every retail earnings report, and it's clear, tough sector right now. The industry's got a ton of big-picture problems stemming from a softer economy. But there was one retail-specific issue we keep hearing about on a conference call. Conference call. It's called theft, or as they know in the business, shrink, the official accounting term for the hit you take from lost, destroyed, or stolen inventory. Pilferage. Historically, retailers hate talking about shrink because it makes them look bad. Who wants to admit they're being robbed blind? Who wants to blame weak numbers on shoplifting? Totally amateur stuff, right? So you think. Yet now that that problem's gotten too large to sweep under the rug, and we're hearing about it endlessly. It's obviously not one retailer's fault. First target. Here's a company that always has prided itself on building stores in difficult neighborhoods and serving low-income consumers. But when Target reported last month, they gave you an incredibly grim earnings forecast for the current quarter. Imagine it blamed a big chunk of that weakness on crime. CEO Brian Cornell described retail theft as, quote, a worsening trend that emerged last year, end quote, noting the violent instances of increase at his stores is a tough problem because if you try to crack down on security, it makes for less convenient, uh, it makes it less convenient for innocent shoppers like you. And you want to be able to buy what you want when you want. Last year, Target shrink came in at $763 million. And on the call, Madison said they should shrink the number growing by 
$100 million this year, putting it well over the billion-dollar mark. It crushed the stock. Of course, Target has a lot of other problems from inventory missteps, culture war controversies. But if they're losing more than $1.2 billion in theft this year, that is a very big deal. Now, the day before Target reported, we heard from Home Depot, which also called out theft. They cited shrink as a key driver of the falling gross margin. It really matters. And this is Home Depot we're talking about. Some of that merchandise is very hard to steal, but perhaps easily fenced. Next, Dollar Tree was one of the worst performers in retail uh, last month. Stock down 12% in a single session last Thursday on the heels of an earnings miss coupled with a full year forecast cut. If you go through Dollar Tree's conference call, the word shrink was mentioned 34 times. According to management, shrink caused a 60 basis point hit to the gross margins in the first quarter. That's 14 cents of earnings per share. It's hard to make that up. Dollar Tree only missed by the numbers by five cents. So that explains the whole shortfall and then some. Ah, foot lockers falling from around $41 a couple weeks ago to around 25 today, thanks to an awful quarter. They also blame Shrink for putting pressure on their earnings. But we've been blindsided by this one. Uh, I think it'll be back. But, you know, that's it. It'll no doubt take time. Hey, listen, I talk about how great NVIDIA was. I got to talk about some of the stickers like Foot Locker. That's the way it works for the Chapel Trust. In short, that does become endemic in retail. But what makes the issue so frustrating is that there's no easy fix. Target is trying to uh, reduce that by installing protective fixtures, adjusting its assortment in certain stores. No clue if that will even help. Ulta Beauty, a nice company, Scott Sanderson, recently told Allison that they didn't like this quarter. Quote, coming into 2023, we think the shrink trends were going to moderate a little bit because of some of the investments we're putting behind mitigation tactics. But they haven't resonated yet. Whoa, end quote. Resonated. That's an interesting term. And like I mentioned before, many of these anti-theft measures are also anti-shopping measures. Go to a Dwayne Reed in New York. Almost everything they sell of import, I think, is now behind lock and key, including items of modest value. You need to make a PA call and then wait for assistance just to buy basic sundries. What's the point of shopping in person if it's not convenient? Plus, don't forget the impact this shrink issues have on retail employees, the people who would ordinarily be stocking shelves, operating the cash register, or assisting you rather than tackling them. Over this month, we learned that Lou had to fire two employees in Georgia for recording a robbery and then calling the police and the offenders, which is apparently against company policy. Lou did have a great quarter after the close, but that didn't necessarily impact. Talk about Shrink, just happens to be a very good company. Now, we're seeing many retailers give up on some locations entirely. Roughly a month ago, Nordstrom announced they'd be letting their leases expire for two stores in San Francisco, where theft is off the charts. In April, Walmart announced plans to close for Chicago stores, although they blamed longstanding unprofitability, not theft specifically. Last year, Starbucks closed a couple dozen locations, primarily on the West Coast, due to safety concerns. Safety? Target suggests they might have to close their most theft-prone stores, although they're trying everything they can to avoid that. So, how come shoplifting has exploded over the past couple of years? Suddenly, theft seems to be the national pastime, with, so far, very little risk versus the reward. In a large part, that's thanks to the rise of online marketplaces where it's easy to fence stolen merchandise. Suddenly, crime pays a lot better than it used to, so it's become professionalized. It's so bad, even the government's trying to help. Last year, Congress passed the Inform Consumers Act by slipping it into an omnibus spending bill. This requires that online marketplaces collect, verify, and display key information from high-volume third-party sellers on their platforms. That could be people who are stealing Look, I guess that's better than nothing. But do people really care? Do you really care if you're buying stolen merchandise when you look for a deal on Amazon's marketplace? Seems like they've checked it out, right? That's how you feel. What can you do? 
What do you do? Well, you got to think about this like an investor, not as a retailer and not as a, a shopper. So let's try to put this in perspective. Sure, theft is terrible for brick and mortar retailers, but you know what? Who's it fabulous for? Amazon. The one advantage that brick and mortar still has over e-commerce is the fact that you don't have to wait for your goods. But all the anti-theft efforts by retailers make Amazon much more convenient by comparison. If everything at your local drugstore is under lock and key, or, you know, everything, a little hyperbole, but, you know, like my Gillette razors, whatever like that, why not just buy it online? Free next-day shipping if you, ship, if you sign up for Prime. I'm a huge backer of Amazon here. They got religion on profitability. I think they could be a contender in artificial intelligence, particularly with their Amazon Web Services business. Next, I love Costco Wholesale. With the stock that's now up more than 25 bucks since the company reported a solid quarter last Thursday, even at the time that was criticized, because Costco seems immunized against that. On the company, remember, it's a, club, it's a club membership company. On his conference call, CFO Rich Galani said, quote, one other question that we've gotten a couple of times of late because of some of the companies out there that reported much higher shrink, our shrink is intact. He went on, quote, we haven't seen any major change in shrinkage. It fluctuated a couple of three basis points up really before the COVID as we rolled out self-checkout. And since then, it's come back down a little bit. And it's been in a, in a very tight range, end quote. Good for them and good for Costco shareholders. I don't know if it's, if it's because they offer ridiculously low prices or simply because it's awkward trying to shop with items that they only come in bulk, uh, let alone stealing from your own darn club. How heretical. Whatever. It's working. It's working for these guys. Like Amazon, we're telling CBC Investing Club members that Costco, which we've owned for a very long time, is going much higher. Here's the bottom line. This is a very tough moment for retail, and it sure doesn't help that the industry's having a George Costanza moment right now where everybody seems obsessed about shrinkage. I don't know how they solve the theft problem, which is why I want to stick with the retailers where it's not a problem, like Amazon or, to a lesser extent, Costco. If you can't steal from them, join them. Let's go to Bo in Alabama. Bo. Big booyah, Jimmy Chill. Thank you, Bo. What's shaking? Uh, nothing much, sir. I had a question involved in the SAM about the end of the pandemic. And it seems like my pandemic's just beginning, sir. Uh, is there any that gets original highs? Um, no. Uh, it's lost its way. Uh, we vastly prefer Constellation, STZ. They just had a very good meeting yesterday. Bill Newlands, conference call, talking about the company coming out way hot from that last quarter. I think you should swap out of Sam and go into STZ, Constellation Brands. Let's go to Landry in Oklahoma. Landry. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you, Landry? I'm doing great. Thank you. I got a question about DraftKings today. Sure. I got to tell you, so, Go ahead. what I've seen with DraftKings, um, I was going to ask, uh, it's kind of a two-part question. Should I be putting a trailing stop up for DraftKings with this quote-unquote looming recession? Or should I try to maybe take my bets and let it regress to the mean? And then would you recommend dollar cost averaging DraftKings? I, I like DraftKings. If it comes down, I buy more. It's at a high, it's a point of its high. If it comes down two bucks, I probably buy a little more and two bucks low. I think Jason Robbins is the winner. He is the new champion. DraftKings is a terrific company. I like it. I used to work for them in full disclosure, and I think they do a terrific job. Let's go to Alex in Colorado, please. Alex. Miss Dr. Kramo. Yes, are Alex. I am pretty good. How are you, partner? And thank you for doing what you're doing. And helping everybody. Oh, thank I have a you, question. Alex. I have thank a question, you. Mr. Kramer. Mm-hmm. 
my question is about PayPal. I yeah. bought PayPal a while back. It looks like they went down quite a bit, but... Yeah. What's going on with PayPal? Uh, Competition got very steep. Competition is very steep. It's very tough. It's very difficult to go against all these other companies in financial tech. So therefore, PayPal's been a very tough stock to own, and I think it's going to remain a tough stock to own. All right, listen, the shrinkage problem across retail has no easy solutions right now. So I want you to stick to the companies that aren't being hurt by it. I'm talking about Amazon. I'm talking about Costco. Much more mad money ahead, including how about the hype around AI? It's taking the market by storm. But I'll tell you why it's important to keep the excitement in perspective when I turn in tonight's homework. Then I'm cutting through the noise and pointing out the positives that you may have missed as ChatGPT continues to dominate headlines with its hype. And Oida Gall's rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Every night I take your phone calls in order to ensure that I'm not just talking about the stories I find interesting. I also have to cover the stocks that you home gamers want to know about. I like that. It's one of the reasons why the show's been on for so long. Sometimes, though, you stun me. Ask about a name I just don't know or a stock that I simply want to do some more research on before offering you an informed opinion. In those cases, what do we do? Well, we put the stock to the side, do some homework, return to the story with a more thorough answer. So with the school year ending, summer break starting, and student loan payments possibly about to resume, let's clear out the homework assignment we've been getting out. Let's say that you've been handing out ourselves. Back on May 9th, Michael in Minnesota asked about Perion, P-E-R-I-O-N, Network. That's an Israeli advertising technology play. I said I'd get back to him. Now, here's a company that was founded way back in 1999. That was during the original dot-com bubble, although they weren't originally an ad tech play. Perion tried to break into various different Internet-focused businesses, like email service, for turning its focus to digital advertising in recent years. While Perion came public way back in 2006, it was a microcap name for over a decade, only becoming large enough for us to talk about on air in the past few years, thanks to an incredible run in the stock. This thing soared from the mid-single digits three years ago to $42 at its highs in April, although it's pulled back to $31 today along with the rest of tech. What exactly does this current version of Perion Network do? In a nutshell, this company helps advertisers to place their digital ads in the most advantageous places. Perion operates across ad search, social media, and video, the three areas where the money is. They've got a proprietary platform. It's called iHub. that connects the supply and demand sides of these digital ad markets. To put it even more simply, Companies come to Perion with a block budget for digital advertising. Then Perion helps them spend that budget in the most efficient ways possible. Of course, there's a bit more to that. Always is. Perion stock caught the fire earlier because they got a partnership with Microsoft's Bing search engine, which has now been supercharged with ChatGPT functionality. Management says that they apply machine learning and artificial intelligence across all their core solutions, though who knows what that kind of means. It's certainly good buzzwords. High-level story here is that Perion's made a fortune over the past decade or so as more and more advertising dollars went from traditional media to digital media. This company had $261 million in revenue in 2019. By last year, it had $640 million. Over the same period, their earnings surged from $0.83 cents per share to $2.06 per share. That's more than double. So there's plenty to like here, is it? But you know what? I'm not willing to give Perion my endorsement because there's also plenty to dislike. Sure, about a month ago, the company reported an excellent quarter. Nice top and bottom line beat. Management raising their full-year sales and EBITDA forecasts. Stock didn't get much benefit from those numbers, though. Probably because it right up 34% year-to-date going into the quarter. 
But make no mistake about it, this was a darn good quarter. Unfortunately, we got a more negative update last week when the professional short sellers at Spruce Point Capital Management published a brutal hit piece on Perion. Sell, 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 sell. Citing, and I quote, concerns about the accuracy of its finance reporting and efficacy of its product suite and sustainability of its growth, end quote. Wow, harsh indictment. These guys are alleging that there are accounting issues. And you know, in my book, accounting issues equals sell. Spruce Point laid out its argument saying Perion is, quote, at best sloppy and error-prone reporting, end quote. And at worst, quote, case, worst case, manipulative accounting and reporting practices that make it difficult to track performance, end quote. That's a very serious accusation. I don't know if it's true, but I have to say to myself, so many good stocks here, why take the chance? Spruce Point then highlighted the somewhat sketchy history of some of the top uh, executives at Perion, called into question some of the company's recent acquisitions. While the report didn't have a huge impact, the stock dropped less than 5% the day it was published. It certainly made me rethink this one. Now, if you're, if you're considering investing in Perion, I urge you to review Spruce Point's 127-page report yourself. You can see it up on the website. Make up your own mind. That said, I can tell you where I come down on this one. Strictly based on the publicly available numbers, Perion should be an attractive stock, even after its big run. Management's expecting, expecting 15% revenue growth this year, not too shabby. Stock looks cheap, selling for roughly 11 times this year's earnings estimates. And this is a $1.5 billion company with more than $400 million in cash and equivalents on the balance sheet and zero debt. Now, if that were the whole story, I'd be on board with this digital advertising enabler. But that's not the whole story. Honestly, that short sell report from Spruce Point, it's booted me. I think they've got some convincing arguments, although I say that as, as a non-specialist who's not really qualified to evaluate what Perion says about its own technology. But even without that short sell report, I'd be hesitant to get behind this one because Perion's being hyped as an artificial intelligence play now. As I told you last night, there will be very few genuine winners from AI, and almost so much of it is hype, with nearly all of the winners being these giant mega caps. That's what I like. At the same time, the fact that Perion trades at 11 times earnings, it actually feels like a bit of like a red flag to me. Very low multiple considering the growth rate. Makes me wonder, if the story's so good, why the heck is this stock so cheap? Bottom line, I don't know if the short sellers this Bruce point are right, but Perion Network's clearly a battleground stock. And we stay away from battlegrounds here and their money. Just two high for me. Now, if you want something similar, why not go to longtime Kramer Fade, the Trade Desk? Another digital advertising play with a more compelling AI kicker and terrific management. Everybody's back after the break. Coming up, what's in your mind, Kramerica? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Tom in Florida. Tom. Hey, Jim. How you doing, buddy? It's been I a am long doing time well. since I've spoken to you. Um, I miss you. I, I've been a, a, a viewer for many, many years, and I've been a club member for the past seven-plus years. Yes. Uh, through the transition, and I and I love you for that. Oh, but, thank you. And you know, I bleed club. It means so much to me. Oh, thank I you. know you do. I thank I know you. you do, brother. 
And Thank you. the thing is, I, I just want to let you know, in, in the time frame since I've been a club member and been watching you, I bought a new house in Florida. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow I'm getting married to my lovely fiancé, uh, Brenda. And that's all this you helped us do and achieve. Well, You're a great I'm man. very Thank grateful. So I, have been t- I take a lot of heat, as anybody who's on Twitter knows. They think I must be something really bad. So when I hear something like that, it means a great deal to me, Tom. Thank you. How can I help you right now? Okay. Well, I, I want to ask you a question about a stock that you absolutely loved about a year ago. Uh, subsequently to that time, though, the revenue has been down 42%. Net income is down 56%. It was a SPAC opening at the time, but it had been in business for a number of years prior to that. But, uh, I, you know, sales volumes are down. Uh, no, it's are true. Higher. It's true. And let, can I just ask, what do you think today about MP Materials? Oh, MP Materials. It's trading with the, with the car companies. They're not doing well. And um, it's also, by the way, I mean, when you look at it, uh, there's been big inside selling. I don't like that. My bottom line is, is that MP Materials is still a good company, but it's not a great stock. But that's a tough one because I, I battled that one. Let's go to Dan. And thank you for those kind comments. Best wishes. Daniel in New York. Daniel. Booyah, Jim. I'm looking to get into American Express below 140. What do you think about the stock? I think you stay along American Express. I have to tell you something. American Express is benefiting from the fact that when people stay at home, they go out at night. That's what they do. When they work at home, they go out at night. And that's why leisure is so big. And travel is still booming, as we know from all the airlines. Let's go to Seth in Kansas. Seth. Hey, Jimmy boy. How about the Chiefs? Hey, look, I like Andy. I like Andy. He's my fave. Go ahead. I do. I love him. Go ahead. My question is, given the severe lack of underinvestment in both the exploration and mining capacity within the gold industry, coupled with the high inflation environment, what's your long-term outlook on the price of gold and particularly Franco, Nevada? I believe that you should have 10% of your portfolio in gold as a hedge against everything else. And I think Franco, Nevada is an excellent, excellent yield play. And it's a great, uh, it does a, it's a royalty trust. I like it very, very much. I would be a buyer. Let's go to and- Andrea in North Carolina. Andrea. Hi, Jim. I'm a first-time caller, and I'm excited to ask about Clearfield, C-L-F-D. Very tough, very competitive market. I don't like that market. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, good things are happening every day in AI. Kramer highlights a few that have caught his attention next. There are so many good things that work in business every day, yet you rarely hear a word about them because they're just not super exciting. I'm trying to change that. Let's take biosimilars, the biotech version of generic drugs. Today, a company called Coherus Biosciences announced that it will start marketing a biosimilar knockoff of Umira. Do you know that that's the best-selling drug ever? And it's made by a company called Abvi. Yamira brought in $18 billion last year alone, and that's purely domestic sales. It's a wonder drug for all kinds of rheumatic illnesses and immunological issues. Unfortunately, this drug costs the healthcare system $90,000 per patient per year. According to Bloomberg, this biosimilar version from Coherus 
will sell at an astounding 85% discount. The CEO of Coharis believes he can get to an eight, a 12% market share in a couple of years right out of AbbVie's hide. Why not? He's got the backing of Mark Cuban, the legendary Shark Tank judge and Dallas uh, Mavericks owner, whose cost plus drug company will be offering this discount. Mark, come on the show and talk to me about it. Can you imagine how much this biosimilar will, even, uh, will save the system, even as indeed it is going to crush AbbVie's profitability? Hence why the stock's getting hammered and why we had to sell it for our travel trust not that long ago. Meanwhile, the health insurer like Humana, United Health, both rallied because they're the ones who are actually paying the price of these drugs. But long story short, the biggest drug in the world is about to get 85% cheaper. How is that not a great story, a number one story? Then, uh, what we heard last night from wealthy private investor Wes Edens about his new Fortress Energy company. He's developing low-cost, liquefied natural gas infrastructure for less developed countries, and he's doing it in a high-speed way. It's amazing. New Fortress is bringing LNG to Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Mexico, later on Brazil, Ireland, a couple of other markets. Could be an incredible boost for these people in these countries who generally use a lot less power than we do in America. I want them as our friends. Natural gas is a great equalizer. and It's going to make a ton of money for New Fortress Energy. And in the process, it could also make money for you. At the same time, in a separate venture that you can invest in, Edens is building popular high-speed trains that will only run from Orlando to Miami and from Los Angeles to Vegas. Not too long ago, these rail lines would have been considered way over the top, just preposterously expensive. But now, because there's so much traffic on the roads, too much, and because you, can, you can't get an Uber when you arrive at the, your destination, or it can be a nightmare at an airport, you can get one maybe at the train station. High-speed trains that make a ton of sense for travelers. We don't have real high-speed rail in America yet. But if you go to Europe, Japan, or China, these trains are incredible. I think it's a great move for Eden's. He'll make money, you'll save money, and time. Next, for a long time, we poo-pooed the vaccine business. Too expensive to develop, not particularly lucrative to sell. But when you use new technologies that can do billions of permutations practically at the speed of light, you can be like Moderna, which quickly came up with a COVID, COVID vaccine. I think you can do many others the same way. Life-saving and profitable. So today, Pfizer... For it appro- uh, got an approval for RSV shot. Again, technology is making these things worth pursuing for business. We keep thinking, how could we develop so much oil and gas in this country? Well, we now produce more than 12 million barrels a day. It's going a couple million miles higher in the next couple of years. This is all about technology, making each well worth a great deal more than it used to be because the producers can get more mileage out of them. Tremendous for Pioneer Natural Resources, which has the lowest cost drilling operation, even as it hasn't helped their stock lately. Finally, there's applied materials which is working with the government hand-in-hand to bring back semiconductor manufacturing to here, United States. We had CEO Gary Dickerson on the show last night. He just announced his company's planning to build a $4 billion research development site that he thinks will put Silicon back in Silicon Valley. That's both reassuring and helping to ensure that our country doesn't get too dependent on chips made in Taiwan. Because China wants Taiwan back, it wouldn't be all that hard to disrupt the supply chain. These are all positives that have already happened or I've just learned about in the last couple of days. All right, they're not about chat, GPT, about generative AI. They're not about hype. They're not even hope. They're about dollars and cents, and they deserve to be talked about, even if the only time that happens is at the end of our show. I'd like to say there's always more market summer. Prime Time Financial Review right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Visit a live archaeological dig site on the very grounds where America began. Or walk the fields where our country was won. Live like a colonial by day or track 18th century ghosts by night. For all the history to be found here, there's plenty more to make for yourself. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace.